Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And today we'll be talking about some dope Python tools, tools you should be using in your code base. And if you're not using Python, then you should just start today. Right now. Rewrite your entire application, all of your side projects in Python. Yes. That's great. (laughs) Yes. Today, we'll be talking about some Python tools, including API Star, Python, Dev, and CI tools, and GraphQL. There's some more GraphQL conversations that will happen. I just can't stop talking about it. Can't stop talking about it. (laughs) Uh, But before we continue, we have a special guest today, Darlin Alberto. How's it going, Darlin? It's great. Darlin, could you give us a quick intro? of yourself yeah i'm the director of engineering at mighty.com i've been programming for a spell <laughs> <laughs> and i'm happy to be here python and tools are things i like so this is there's no there's no better place for me tonight you, you happen to be sitting at the right recording studio yes. to it's talk like, about python tools it's like what that you're talking about python <laughs> and tools <laughs> let me in <laughs> Awesome. Do you guys have anything in mind you want to start with? A particular tool? Yeah, I mean I, I when we were chatting before, like API star, like this sounded super cool. Like I had not heard about this and I was I was very excited to hear more about it. Yet I have not used it in production by any means, but I read the that, readme and therefore I'm an expert. <laughs> okay, there you go. That's, uh, that's how things work in the program world. <laughs> Did you read the manual? Yes. I am an expert. All right. And it was very interesting. I guess it has a little bit of pedigree. It comes from the core developer of uh, Django REST framework. And I think uh, maybe you guys are used to it before. Yeah, yeah. I've definitely used it before. Like, And I feel like, you know, he, he did a really good job with that. Like, he really put a lot of energy into, like, not just developing a nice tool, but, like, also documenting it and building the community. Yeah, like, so I'm excited to hear that he's doing something else. Yeah, it, uh, I think it, that's exactly my... Th- I share the same thoughts. And he actually happens to be a Django Core developer as well. Oh, really? Okay. I guess that's how he, he landed the gig of being a paid contributor for right. the best <laughs> rest framework for Django. <laughs> That'll do it. Um, so this is a new project. I think he's still maintaining and committed to Django REST framework, but he's also branching out and uh, working on this new framework that is agnostic towards the the underlying store and other mm-hmm. other components. Everything's pretty modular and replaceable. Its claim to fame is that it's super productive and fast. Yeah, and also like another thing that I I saw that seemed pretty interesting was that it's. Python 3 only, right? It's a brave new world. Oh, right? Oh. What is this? Is is this finally <laughs> happening? Like <laughs> after, ten, after 10, 20 years. Uh, right. We're not supporting and also like Django as well. Like also stop supporting. Yeah, I uh, this is uh, I'm so happy. I started using <laughs> Python in production 3 or 4 years ago and uh, it's happy I'm happy to not be the black sheep of the community and and feeling like uh, there, there's a small minority of Python 3 users. Yeah, I know. I always, I always felt like kind of like this is a controversial opinion, but yeah. I don't really care too much that they change the strings. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's what it's all about, the Unicode yeah. strings. Cool. So, yeah, you were saying uh, that this is not only exclusively in Python 3, which is cool, uh, but it's also like very performant and very nice to use as a developer as well. Yeah, so it fully embraces type hints in Python 3, which means you get a little bit of better developer tools. Like when you're developing, you have information about the requests and everything you're getting. And uh, 
he, I, I believe that the core design is that it uses that to actually optimize for performance. So API Star, at least in its readme, claims to be the fastest Ruby, Python, or Go web framework, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, I guess we'll have to keep an eye on it. Like, uh, and sit, look for some blog posts where people like refute this claim. Yes. <laughs> it was all a ruse. <laughs> How long has API Star been a thing? Like out in production and people have been using it? I don't know if it's out in production in any serious application, but I know that it's been open source for about a year and a half or so. So it's like fairly new in, in the field. Yes, cutting edge stuff. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious about like the, the type hints bit. Like, so does that apply to the data that you get out of the API as well? Like, are, is that typed in some kind of a schema? I, I believe so. And I think that they, when you're modeling your API, they actually require you to specify a schema for the data that you're, um, you expect and the data that you, you get out, which is a little bit different than what you would get in a normal dynamic language yeah, uh, this web is, framework. This is so interesting for me being a developer who was like working with java for so long and soap which i i, I think bobby you've, you've lived this as well we're like it's like okay everything's strongly typed oh yeah we have we have soap and there's like a contract and agreement like for all of our endpoints and then we're like oh no no it's, it's ruby it's like rest like there's no contract like it's just you know verbs yeah and wild, wild west and then you that's it you get Wait, what? Like, what do you mean? Where's the contract? Uh, and now we're we're going back. Now we got schemas. Yeah, which is cool. I'm 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 welcoming it back in my life. And <laughs> and also like uh, static typing on Python as well. And and I believe Ruby is also working on it for Ruby 3.0. Like, it's a big thing in uh, PHP too. Hack of of Facebook fame, I guess. And uh, TypeScript is huge in uh, the JavaScript world now. Yeah, wow. yeah, that's true. Flow as well. Yeah, flow flow's a thing that I'm currently using and seems to be just it's pretty cool to have just like compilation errors when you when you're writing code as like the thing. Kind of like how when you see a linter, but having things strongly typed, I kinda miss it. Like I've been dealing with like React JavaScript for some time now. And when I look at JavaScript flow, just having things like statically typed, like, oh no, that's supposed to return a string. Or null. And I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, undefined. Oh, no, I got to do something about that. And then you know exactly what to do. Yeah, so it's yeah. Python 3, like, moving towards the statically typed uh, language framework? Well, or What was it, like, 3.5 three, three three gave five, us uh, type annotations? And, you, and you're forced to do that or no? It's Well, I guess 3.5 introduced annotations and then... It's just up to you to do what you want to do with it. It's uh, I think it's uh, in the same vein as uh, TypeScript and other, I guess, gradual typing systems. Mm-hmm. So it's all opt-in, and they're supposed to be really great for actually using it in an existing code base. So. I see. So you can interchangeably use both at the same time, both TypeScript. You can use both the statically typed version of Python and not have a statically typed at the same time. Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, just implicit that it's anything. Right. So it's pretty, pretty exciting, very different. Uh, so, you know, to be fair, I think it's not fully uh, static typing, but I think it, it, it's kind of exciting. You get the best of both worlds in, in theory. Yeah. So like something that I think is interesting with uh, Python static typing is for JavaScript, you strip it all out because you're compiling down to like you're writing not really in JavaScript, like you're compiling down to JavaScript that doesn't have it. 
but uh, in Python, I guess the the interpreter just ignores it at runtime. Yeah, and I think that there are actually some tools in the community that actually enforce type hints um, at runtime. As you can imagine, there's a performance overhead of uh, doing that for an interpreted language, but it is an option, and it, the information is fully there. Yeah, I guess that could be a nice thing to do in like in a staging environment or something. Like, you, if you don't mind if it's a little bit slower, and yeah, you, you do want to see it burn. Cool. Yeah. I, I found myself like looking at an open source project the other day and trying to grok the code and really pining for static types. Like if I just had a static type, then I would know what this thing was. <laughs> you can navigate, <laughs> navigate the web that is this code base. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, when did this happen? <laughs> it's pretty great, like especially when you're trying to understand other people's code. Exactly. Um, especially if your app, as your app grows and yeah, hopefully becomes successful, it's nice to be able to say, I, I know exactly what's happening here. Yeah. I have a question. So the talking about the death of python 2 how long do you think it would take for the community to have more of the usage of python 3 over 2 at this point in time like does it up does like average code base update often to get like the the latest language optimization or is it oftentimes that like a particular piece of production code would stay at legacy python I think it's a uh, from, from from what I've seen. It's interesting because there, when Python three was introduced, two was almost frozen in time, and so there are all these app, there are all these applications that are perpetually stuck on two seven. Mm. But on the flip side, if you're using Python three, when those releases come out, people upgrade regularly. Um, as to the transition between two seven and three, I think that's to be determined. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it seems like. A lot of times it's it's kind of like you have this 2.7 app and it may not have test coverage. You may not feel confident in like what those tests are telling you and then you just have to rewrite it all over again or like go through a process. I, I remember seeing some blog post about these folks who did a big transition of 2.7 Django to 3 and modern Django and it, it took them several months. But I think uh, things are looking up. I think Django 2.0 now officially deprecated support for Python 2. And I think there is a critical mass of, you know, top libraries that have Python 3 support. So my hope is that the community can unify once more behind a single, I guess, version of the language. Yeah, but it's it's like the PHP monolith. It's never really gone away entirely. <laughs> So, like we were talking before about some some other tools. Uh, so, what what else might be useful? Like as your app is growing, like so. I think one tool. So, the type pinter, I guess, a uh, spec. But we one tool I've used is uh, MyPy to actually check these type pins at sort of during CI, and that's a nice reassurance of an additional check, an additional safety net. So you can like put that into your build process and. Exactly. Yeah. Before anything gets merged, uh, the the type information should uh, match what you said it did. <laughs> what about iSort? iSort's also great. I think that I think it's in a different vein. I think it doesn't really enforce any extra confidence, but it's nice to sort of have tools that remove type bike shedding. Yeah. So what what is it too exactly? 
So iSort, given a configuration, will automatically sort your Python imports. Like in each of the files? Exactly. Um, okay. And it's great. And it seems like a weird thing. I, I think that this is a good tool where if you're not using Python, you should try to find an equivalent in your language and or implement your own because it's pretty nice uh, to have alphabetized, separated, and normalized uh, imports, especially as an application becomes larger and larger. Wait, you don't you don't have a person in your in your team who just shouts at you when it's not <laughs> in the time. <laughs> I, you know, I was thinking about that, and like I I have totally like at most of the project I've had, there's always been just a dude, yeah, like there are you know a, a a programmer who has opinions, and I'm just like sure, yeah, yeah, let's do that. But at the current project, I don't think anyone has strong opinions. So it's, I'm, I feel I'm like adrift. I need to find this tool. <laughs> I used to be that guy. And then I found this tool and I don't need to be that guy anymore. Exactly. <laughs> then, now no one has to be that guy or gal because you download uh, iSort and you put the, it's iSort, right? Yeah. Yeah. You download iSort and does it for you. And it's just on save. Right? Everything's on that. That's that pretty nice because then it's like, it's not me. It's the computer. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm your friend. <laughs> <laughs> and, and these are our community standards. This is what we believe in. Uh, right. Yeah. Aren't you part of the community? <laughs> <laughs> we all are part of the community. It's all as one. Yeah. I sort mean, <laughs> alphabetized packages. It's very important. Yeah. But I, I like there are a lot of edge cases though, because I, I, I tried just doing it manually with our, our, our React app. And like once you have like more than 10 then it gets really confusing and also it's like am i sorting on the thing that i'm importing from or the thing that i'm like the file where it's from or the path that it's in like what is what does it mean to really sort something <laughs> really get like, very, like existential about it and i don't know that's the thing that like a winter and like you know that kind of thing let the computer or, figure it out exactly. and then we agree just just throw a fixed flag on the command line tool and let it let it What's carried away. <laughs> what's great about iSort is that you don't need to do anything. So I actually don't even think about sorting anymore. I just let the tool take care of it. So there, there's this uh, f- newfound freedom that that you have letting the computer do the tedious and boring things. Right. Yeah. Like there's just so much more time in your life. <laughs> no longer sorting imports every I'm, day. I'm saving 30 seconds a day, I think. At, <laughs> at least. At least. I mean, I hey. mean if you're using Vim, then <laughs> it's compound interest. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that definitely sounds like a package that will definitely clean up the code base and unify the entire code base that people are using in Python. Yeah. So another Python tool that I like saw pretty recently, a couple months ago, uh, that I got excited about was like pipenv. Because there's so many like disparate like environment management tools. And after like taking a brief foray to Rubyland where it's just like, just use Bundler and Bundler does all the things for you. It was nice to have that, see that like kind of philosophy applied to Python. Right, that normalization and that like, uh, you don't have to think about all the ways to package um, and manage dependencies in Python. Yeah, activate this or, you know, have my like virtual env wrapper and my regular virtual env and like, (laughs) just like burritos of (laughs) environments. (laughs) Raps on raps on raps. <laughs> Russian doll situation, right? <laughs> I mean, there's there's always talk, the new hot wave, or the tool you all should be using, which is GraphQL or GraphQL. GraphQL. Oh, we had a whole episode on GraphQL, but love to bring it up in terms of like the back end <laughs> and how that how that plays with Python. What are your what are your thoughts on 
on that, darling? I haven't used it in production myself, but um, I'm impressed with what it promises and also with the, uh, in particular, the Python support because, you know, it, it came out of, I think the tooling is strongest in JavaScript. That's the ecosystem it, it was born from. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, I was impressed. I think, Dave, you, you have some you have some experience with it um, yeah, in, yeah. in real life. <laughs> yeah, so like my, my experience has in the past been with Ruby and most, most recently with Python a little bit, but mostly on the front end, like consuming it through like uh, JavaScript and Apollo. Uh, yeah, the, the tooling is, is pretty great for JavaScript on the front end, but uh, in, in other places it lags a bit. But I, I spent some time this weekend like diving in a little bit more with Graphene and uh, the, the Django extension for Graphene. I made like a little application over the weekend. It was pretty fun. And yeah, it's 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 pretty nice. Like it, it's kind of intuitive. It, it follows a similar pattern to Django with meta classes and all that craziness, which, you know, I, I, I spend some time like rooting around in the, the library code and it's just meta programming all over the place, which, you know, that's, that's great. But <laughs> that's the only way if you really want to get anything done, <laughs> <laughs> I need to write code that writes code for my code. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> What's been your experience with GraphQL for uh, writes? And I think they call them mutations or something. That part of, to me is a little bit, not as intuitive as the rest of it. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it it does seem a little bit, a little bit strange. And the the name mutation sounds very scary too. It's <laughs> oh, like yeah. this is like yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles kind of situation. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> stay away from that. Oh, doesn't yeah. that get uh, you excited for it though? You're, yeah, you're mutating it, the data. I guess it. Sh- I guess it should get me more excited. Maybe that's why I need to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this will give me powers, <laughs> but. Yeah, so mutations are a, a little bit weird, but like actually it, it kind of makes sense in the end because like you can think of it as you have like some inputs which you're you're passing in in an object like so you're like you know add a post and then you have in parentheses an object that has all of the post stuff and then after that input you have a query. So it's actually secretly a query as well and you just define a query using the graphql query language and you get back that data to your client and if you're using something nice like apollo and you have global unique ids for all of the different entities that you're getting back then it can denormalize that update the cache and everything is magic if you don't have it up set up right then everything is not magic and you just have to deal with it it certainly reminds me of a non-Python tool that might be interesting for... I, I've been interested in trying out called Postgres, which is a, I believe, a Haskell application that uh, introspects a Postgres database and builds a RESTful API for you. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard about this. And I think there's there's now... I don't know if Postgres is the one, but uh, there's now one that does it for GraphQL, which seems pretty exciting to have... And terrifying, but <laughs> <laughs> just let 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 everything fly. Yeah, there's since it's statically typed, like you can kind of adapt it into anything. Like I, I've seen adapters for JSON API and Open Data and like Swagger, like all the things basically. GRPC, 
and you can just be like, okay, since this is statically typed and GraphQL is statically typed, then you can just be a part of my API too. And I just <laughs> take it in. So I didn't realize that uh, t- static typing was a big part of GraphQL. That's uh... Yeah, you also define schemas in GraphQL. So that, that's why I was like really excited when I was reading this. I was like, this is, the is this also GraphQL? Like, is everything GraphQL? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> GraphQL, all the things. <laughs> Yeah, but it's 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 pretty fun. I, I've I've enjoyed it. I would just definitely recommend like diving in, especially like for using it with the React community. The community the ecosystem is pretty pretty robust there. It's a crazy idea. Would you uh, maintain an application that had both a RESTful API and a GraphQL API? So that's yeah, man, sure. Unpure and yeah. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I. I I think that totally makes sense that there are different applications for both. And yeah, actually, you can even consume your REST API in the GraphQL API if you wanted to do that. That's what like the big companies like, <laughs> like Twitter and Yelp, they're, they're consuming microservices that feed into this like unifying GraphQL layer for people to um use and yeah exactly in a in a more productive way uh but then you do have to maintain all that stuff <laughs> so maybe if you have a monolith that's not really the way to go but yeah like there, there's different use cases for for each for sure you can even share some of the code in between them like the models and all that good stuff so you have time for one more dope python tool just one more every developer should be using right now let's have the conversation for the next couple of minutes and then we'll wrap it up so everyone should use Flake 8. If you're not, you should be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And it's really great. I think it's it's one of those tools like you learn about them in one ecosystem and you can take your learning elsewhere. So I think analogous tools exist in, in other ecosystems. ESLint, TSLint in the JavaScript ecosystem. Robocop. I, I, just, Robocop. Robocop, yes. Robocop yeah. is probably the most awesome name. <laughs> <laughs> no one else even tried. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah Flake is so boring. <laughs> I mean, you may not know the answer to this, and that's fine. But like, do you, do you know what Flake comes from? Like, Yes, it's actually a hybrid of two tools. PyFlakes which is super strict about type pension or linting errors and pep8. So pep8 is for for those unfamiliar like the 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 style guide the pseudo style guide in, in Python, but there's actually a tool that called pep8 that enforces common sense uh, rules. So flake8 is sort of a hybrid thing. Okay, cool. And so I've used pylint before too and do you have like any special like preference for flake eight or is it just like having having that guy who's not you who's a computer <laughs> who tells people to write better code that certainly but also i think it's a it, it, i think it is a good balance between the strictness of pyflix and the open-ended but common sense nature of pep8 so mm. it, it kind of it's configurable but it, it has good defaults and it's somewhere in between where it's not too overly opinionated or overly strict mm, okay yeah that, that's a good point i guess like with any kind of linter like you want to start from a good place or have like a good like community of defaults to pull from like for es lint we're using the airbnb standard i'm just plugging that in getting that there 
<laughs> we on, ran, we ran save. that against a couple some code bases <laughs> and had some interesting results. Oh yeah, I mean the best part is you save it and it fixes it up for you. I mean we were talking about that before with the <laughs> dash s fix. Oh yeah, dash s fix. Just fix it throw, up. Throw it over the wall. Oh, yeah. but, but if I'm not mistaken, not all rules in ESLint are fixable, automatically fixable. Well, yeah, I mean you would have you would then have to dive whatever's not auto fixable. But I mean ESLint goes well with a lot of editors where the minute you open a file it's like a thousand things are wrong save and fix them now and you go and you just you you rip right through them one at a time majority of the things you can fix though which is nice mm-hmm. i will say it really sucks integrating a one of these tools or any linting tool in a legacy code base uh, yeah you just re- rewrite it in python i think we established that you just rewrite it all in python and you're fine and start with legate there you go you start with legate yeah. and then boom Day one, doing it right. <laughs> doing it, doing it right from the start. <laughs> Get yourself these tools. These dope Python tools are built so that uh, developers in the community, like ourselves, can ship out amazing, amazing, well organized, alphabetized, linted <laughs> code that makes sense. That makes common sense for everyone. <laughs> cool, darling. Thanks for coming on down. Greatly appreciate having you here. Where can people reach you? Well, thank you for having me. I think probably the best place is GitHub, weirdly enough. Um, <laughs> so my um, handle's D'Alberto. I um, yeah, love l- learning new things and being told how I'm wrong. Yeah, you'll get a lot of that at GitHub. So. <laughs> yeah, great. Dave, it's always great having you around. Thank you so much for, uh, again, giving us the wonderful knowledge of GraphQL. <laughs> and many other things. Next, the next episode, Speaking Mike. the good word of GraphQL. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And Donna, thanks again for coming on down. Uh, greatly appreciate you coming on down. Always welcome. Thank you. I'm Michael Nunez. Feel free to hit us up at twitter.com slash Radio Free Rabbit. And if you haven't, like, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on iTunes. This is The Rabbit Hole. We'll see you next time. <laughs>